Hello, ladies and gentlemen, family and friends from around the country and literally around the world. This is another episode with your host, David J. Harris Jr. And today, as you can see, I am coming to you from a different location. My guest today, Ryan Stuman, this is part of his office. This is just a studio that he started with, but he's a friend of mine, somebody that absolutely has the American dream story, somebody that can speak to that whole myth of white privilege, what he's gone through, what he's had to endure, and yet what he was then able to build is something that should inspire every single one of you, especially right now during a Joe Biden, Kamala Harris presidency. My guest, Ryan Stuman. Ryan. What's up, big dog? Nice to have you here, brother, or nice to be here in your studio today to hear your story, man. Absolutely appreciate and love everything that you represent, what you've done, and what you've been able to been able to accomplish. I got to hear your story, and I said, I know my audience needs to hear this because people need hope right now. People, especially right now, people need hope. So first of all, Joe Biden presidency, let's get some political stuff out of the way. My audience obviously obviously always, you know, what are we what are we feeling? What's your feeling with this whole scenario that all of us Americans, especially conservative Americans, have to deal with? Well, you know, we're at the final hour of this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We really are. Tomorrow's the day. All the what I call hype men about, you know, prepare for this or that, you know, they're they're gonna have to shut up or put up tomorrow because that's 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 the day where there's no going back. You know, yeah. so by the time this probably reaches the public, we'll we'll know what what happened. You know, yeah, no presidents have really done me a favor. You know, <laughs> I went to prison during George Bush's administration and Bill Clinton's. Actually. So, where, so where was your white privilege? Yeah, well, I, I, I guess I left it somewhere, you know, and, and uh, I, I think, you know, when it comes to that kind of stuff, what people don't realize is they want to. In my opinion, right? This is just coming from a white guy, so whatever. But in my opinion, people want to blame it on skin color or or yes. this, that, and the other. There was a guy yesterday on, I run a large group on Facebook, and there was a guy on there talking about the educational system, and he was a victim because he was from Mexico, right? And mm-hmm. so, oh, you guys don't even know you're so privileged because you're American, and I'm from Mexico. But I'm like, but you're here now. Yeah. Why do you keep ties to that old stuff? Like me, mm-hmm. I don't keep ties to those old things. That's not who I identify as. If I, if Texas falls apart and I leave Texas, I'm not going to identify as a Texan anymore. You know what I mean? Like right. that's just, and I love Texas. Don't get me wrong. You know, like yeah. this, I've been here for 41 years, but for me, what, but if what, it gets, if it turns purple or turns blue and gets overran, man, I, mean, I don't know start- what Texan would would you'll have to come up with a different name yeah old, old texan og texan that's like the least yeah that's like the least texan thing to do you yeah. know but back to the point i think it's a poverty thing you know i think when you're when you grow up poor and maybe there's one class of people that are disproportionately poor over the other but i think when you grow up poor someone who did yeah i think you you don't get all the information you don't get and now you do because we have google and stuff but even then poor kids don't really get the education to google they're on youtube watching people play video games and unwrap presents they're not watching ty lopez or grant cardone or tony robbins or somebody you know what i mean that's not in entertaining enough for the people people these days. that people that are wildly accessible yep and accessible to anybody yep. except if they're if they're in that if they're in poverty most of the individuals that are in poverty, the parents or whoever's in the household, they're not watching those things. They don't even know about those things. They're yep. not promoting those things either. Well, so, so, so speak to that from somebody that grew up poor. Again, your your story uh, when I you know when I said white privilege, uh, finish with your what your thought is on white privilege, and then I want you to get to your story. Well, so 
you know, it, I think it comes down to lack of money. You know, you asked where my white privilege was. Well, it didn't come with, you know, white money. I didn't grow up with that. You know what I yeah, mean? And, right. and, and I think that's really people try to identify where they're from or what race or gender, you know, I'm, you know, there's gender equality in the workplace. We hear all that stuff. I think it just really breaks down to, did you have the information? And like, for, for example, I, I wound up in prison because my first opportunity wasn't to get a job at a place like this. Mm. My first opportunity wasn't a, Hey, you can become a banker or a real estate agent or something like that. It was like, Hey man, you can make a few dollars. if You want to sell some dope. And, and that's all I knew. You know what I mean? And that, that wasn't a white or a black or a Hispanic or anything thing. That was like a, Hey, we were all poor. And that's the only thing that was the opportunity in that neighborhood, you yeah. know? And I think that's where the real privilege is, is the people that, that grow up with money and the people that are playing in these big money arenas now, which I play in now. And I see some of the, the privilege that's out there, but I also feel bad for the people that don't have that information that gets stuck on that, that poverty mindset and that poverty level for forever. Well, it'd be, so, it'd be easy for somebody to see your level of success that you've reached. Again, we're in a very nice office here in Dallas got to be expensive. You've been here for five years. Yep. You, you do real estate on the side as a side business for you. Before we start recording, uh, he's talking about the multiple houses that he's going to be buying as investments. And that's not even your main forte. You do 10 million plus a year out of this business. But if somebody looked at you, they'd say, oh, well, he must have white privilege. So how, what would you say to the person that looks at your level of success, the amount of people that you've been able to impact, a huge community on social media, doing live events, personal development, and, and all those things. What would you say to the person that says, oh, well, it's because you're white? Well, it's funny you ask that because this summer when all the BLM stuff was happening, there's a rapper named Royce to five, nine, who I just left a comment on his stuff. And that's what he said. What do you know? You're a white dude with all this white privilege, hanging out with all these nice cars and shit like that. And I told him, this is what my response was. And I'm the most gangster and the closest thing to what you guys stereolize as a black person, you know, I grew up without a dad, mm. right? I ran mm. the streets. I sold dope. I went to prison. You want to see real racism? Try being a 19 year old skinny white kid in a black man's prison. That's real racism. A lot of wow. people have never felt nothing like that. No. And yet I'm not, I don't have any Nazi signs on me. I don't have any Aryan brotherhood lightning bolts. I survived all that stuff despite. So I kept my ethics as a core, not to get into that when that's the easiest thing to get into when everybody else is against you that's in there. I've felt this real racism. So to say that I have white privilege, obviously, I think you should be looking at yourself for having some sort of black privilege being able to say that to me, you know? And man, the dude went off on a Facebook live on me and everything. You don't know me. I was like, I don't, but I, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I can read your article about you. Yeah. that has been written in the popular rap magazine and see that you grew up in the suburbs and all the shit. His name's Ryan too. You wow. know, <laughs> you wow. know what I mean? But here I am and I'm not trying to portray any of that, but I've been through some of the hardest things a, an individual can go through in life, you know? Mm. And it's so true that if anything today, there's probably a lot more black privilege or trans privilege. I mean, it's everything's pushing to if you have any kind of what used to be a minority specification, anything that that puts you in that category of being a minority. Those are the things that make you now have some privilege because you should be able to get away from get away with most things unless you're a conservative. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like they have you labeled on Facebook and the Hodge twins labeled on Facebook. I just thought a, a screenshot of that and put it on Instagram today. Blew my on, mind. On mine? Yeah, because it was politically was motivated, that. it said. But then you go to Nancy Pelosi's and you can just like hers and nothing pops up. I so recorded what, the whole thing. So what Ryan did was 
I might put it up here, pull it up here. He went to my page to like me on Facebook because we follow each other on Instagram. Instagram, uh, Facebook puts up an immediate, almost like a warning, huh? It's like yep. a warning. Yeah, sure it won't you let you like the page. You have to click off of that and then go back and like it. Puts up a warning. You sure you want to follow this page? So, yeah. So, uh, where's my black privilege? I obviously don't have any white privilege. Yeah. I've got it's the that conservative of, disprivilege. Yeah, it's exactly <laughs> what it is. Yeah. That's, we need to make that a t-shirt. Yeah. yeah that conservative disprivilege. So, let's take, a, let's take a few steps back. You went to jail early. You said you were 19 and in prison. Yeah. How'd you wind up there? So, like I was saying earlier, really my first opportunity to make money, and I'll never forget, I was working at a car wash. My family... I was adopted at age seven. I've had a, a wild life. So I was adopted at age seven. And the guy that adopted me, I call him my stepdad. We don't communicate anymore because he's a violent guy, right? Real violent. So I don't want him around my kids. But his answer for everything was either put him to work or whip his ass, right? Mm -hmm. That was for anything. And man, I'm an entrepreneur now. I'm a free thinker. You yeah. know, like my teachers all my life, they would tell me, you know, sit down, shut up and be quiet in class. That's how you get ahead. Like, dude, you get ahead. I'm, we're talking now. You get ahead by getting attention, you know, and I've always been that guy. And I struggled in school. And so his answer was either work or an ass whipping. And so I was working at the car wash for him and I met one of these, this, it was a black guy and that came in and the dude had, and this is how like, and I, I just want to like, this is just how my mind works. This dude's been coming to the car wash for months. His name's Chuck. He's, he's since passed, but he has a very nice infinity sitting on wheels. Now this is like 1998, right? All right. A nice infinities were new back then. Right. So he had a nice infinity sitting on wheels. He was always dressed in really good clothes, man. And he, man, he was just like a cool dude that carried himself really cool. So mm. I would shoot the shit with him when he was getting his car washed. Well, one day it's like new year's Eve, 1998. He's in there. And I said, man, you know, Chuck, we always talk. What do you do for a living? You a doctor, you a lawyer. And he just started laughing. Man, I thought this dude was like a dentist or an orthodontist or, you know what I'm saying? Something yeah. like that. Now, nah, I mean, he's like, no, nah, man, you smoke weed? And I was like, yeah, I smoke weed. What do you do for a living? He's like, I sell drugs, man. Whatever you need, I got you. You know, wow. we've been hanging out. So I was like, you know, I got a lot of friends that use drugs. He's like, I know you live up in the suburbs, man. I'll supply you. I'll oh, show you what connection. to do. And so that's what we did. And for about. Uh, now, I, I was a I was a drug dealer back in high school. Yeah. Know? It wasn't really for the money. It was because I was tired of paying for it from everybody else. <laughs> and I found out you could make some money and became the main supplier. That was back in my early days, my BC days. But some of the best uh, entrepreneurs, man. that was the first hustle, you right. know, because there's for no real. license. Anybody can get into it. So <laughs> and it's re even though it's quite illegal, it's much like guns. Well, They're readily available everywhere. Yeah. You know? <laughs> now weed's legal. Yeah. It's getting Imagine there. That. It's getting there. Yeah, in a lot of places. Yeah. Not yep. in Texas. They're about to make it federally soon, though. That's on Biden's yeah, agenda. Exactly. So I end up calling him later that I beeped him. That's how it worked back then, right? right. So I oh, beeped yeah. him. I had a beeper. And gave me a beeper code and he hit and I said, Hey man, can you get like a like a lot of weed? And he's like, What do you think's a lot? I was like, I don't know, like a quarter pound. You know, to me that seemed that's how poor I was. That seemed like a lot of weed. <clears throat> and he's like, Yeah, come on by, here's where I'm at. And so that was like my first venture. The first opportunity that I had mm -hmm. to make money was like, hey, I work eight hours a day at this car wash because I'd already quit school and everything. Eight hours a day at this, 10 hours a day at this car wash. And then the evening time, I would sell drugs. At, at one point, when I was like 18 years old, I got my first apartment. I worked as an electrician during the day. I worked at a Mexican restaurant. So from electrician from seven in the morning to four in the afternoon, from five to 10, I worked as a host as a Mexican restaurant. And from 10 to one, I would sell drugs out of my apartment. I had three jobs full time wow. man, doing everything I could. You know what's interesting in there? What I hear? Your work ethic. Yeah, just what, yeah. I wanted to I earn it, your, you know. I hear your work ethic in there. Yeah. Which is one thing that, unfortunately, too many parents 
aren't teaching their kids and the schools aren't doing it. They're trying to allow people to be the victim, blame somebody else for why they don't have this or don't, don't have that. When I believe a hundred percent of most people's issues is they don't have the work ethic. They're not going to be consistent. They're not going to be persistent and they don't put in the work. So anyway, I, I hear that work ethic behind there. So well, that's, that's from my, my stepdad, really, right. you know, because it was like, hey, work your ass off at that because he was the manager of the car wash. Right. So I'm working like maybe three dollars, 85 cents an hour. He's maybe making seven bucks an hour. Right. Supporting wow. a family and stuff. Right. Him, and my mom were working people. And so his answer, like I said, was violence. So if I didn't work hard, there was going to be some violence. And he's a big dude, you know, yeah. so there's some serious violence on the other side of that. So I, I, I know that's where my work ethic came from. And after you do something for a while, it becomes a habit and it just, you know what I mean? And yeah. so I was just always moving and working, but for years I sold drugs. And then one night and I had sold one more interesting thing that yeah. stands out to me. I try to pull nuggets where, where, where I can, where I feel like there's a, there's a nugget. So many people I think have had such a hard upbringing or had parents or step parents that were abusive, that were not nice and to hear that you won't even let your stepdad around your kids because of his violent tendencies, yet to also then hear you at least acknowledge that you got something good from him. I think that's a message to every single person out there that's had to deal with a very a difficult upbringing. I think that there's pearls in the middle of the swine, so to speak, in the yeah. middle of those, those just swampy, negative hard to go through or remember circumstances and scenarios. But I believe if you allow, if you allow yourself and we could talk about this too, forgiveness, I think forgiveness is a big issue in order to be able to see the good things. But for Ryan to be able to have pulled something positive from that stepdad that that he won't even let around his kids now uh, and then acknowledge that. And then it's you and then use that to become the wildly successful and still just getting started. You're a young guy. You got a whole life ahead of you. That's a pretty, that's, that's saying something pretty amazing. So, yeah, you know, not everything's all bad. And, and I'm one of those guys that so much bad stuff is taking place in my life that I should have quit or stopped a long time ago. Mm. You learn to deal with it in two ways. You know, one, I got a really good sense of humor, you know, <laughs> like, gotta laugh at stuff. yeah, I can tell you stories that aren't funny, but make them funny. You know, they weren't funny at the time they were going on. Like Joe Biden becoming president. Yeah. <laughs> And I've been laughing at that one. Sorry. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. That's for sure. You know, I was in prison when Obama was elected Mm. and you want to talk about racial tensions, but they didn't lock us down. It's crazy that all the prisons are locked down now that Biden's about to get into office. Like all the federal prisons are on lockdown, all 126 of them. And it was like, dude, I was literally in the middle of a white guy running against a black guy in there at the height of like the heat and they didn't lock it down. So something's up, you know what I mean? So, one night, it's always a girl, David. You know, mm-hmm. Nikki Six said it best. Chicks equal trouble, you know. So we get this. this <laughs> the wrong chicks. Yeah. That way. That's true. That's true. I got, I got a, a good I, wife. I got an yeah. amazing bride, too. So the wrong chick shows up, right? Buddy of mine orders a prostitute, you know. That's definitely the wrong chick. Yeah, yeah, wrong chick. You know, good church <laughs> girl shows up. Yes. you going to jail the yeah, first time? Yeah, All right. All right. I had never done the drugs. Like, I got smoked a little weed. I don't really think that's a drug. It's pretty much legal at this point anyway, but I never done like drugs, drugs, like mm-hmm. cocaine or any of that shit. Now I didn't sold it all to people that would ask for it. Can you get it? I asked Chuck, yes, he can get it, you know, and I would go pick it up, sell it to him. But I never did it. Cause I seen the way that other people acted on it. And I was yeah. like, man, that does not look fun at all. Yeah. You know, but this prostitute comes over 
And, you know, she's pretty hot. And I'm like an 18, 19 year old dude. You know what I mean? She's like fully grown 26 year old hot chick or whatever that my friend called over or whatever. And so anyway, she talks me into doing the drugs. She's like, oh, well, I'll have a good time, blah, blah, blah. And I call my girls over. Let's, you know, all right, girls, other girls, man, you know what? Hookers and blow, they go together. So let's do this, you know? And so I bent over to sniff the line and I got about like, three quarters, half the way through. And I don't personally remember what happened after that, but the police reports say that I had a seizure. I died. And I literally lived from here to the end of the hallway from the fire department. So when she ran in the other room and called 911, the fire department jumped the fence of the apartment complex, came in, rescued me, put those little shockers on me and all this stuff. But I had about $150 worth of Coke still laid out on the table. And so I took the charge. Obviously, the prostitute's like, that was his stuff. I didn't have nothing to do. You know how they are. You know, loyal stand-up woman she was. And so they end up charging me. Now, I didn't have any money. They took all my money. It was Friday night. So all the drug money that I had made, which was maybe $500,000, they confiscated that. They confiscated my cell phone. So I ain't got nothing at this Mm -hmm. point, right? Like literally nothing. And they put me in jail and give me a $25,000 bail. Wow. It's like, I didn't have 25 grand before <laughs> this happened. Right. That long now, you yeah. know? Yeah. And so after a couple months, they let me out. My, I finally got my grandma. They give me a reduced bail. And my grandma came and got me out. And I paid her back eventually. But Thank they, God for amazing grandma. Yeah, for real. For grace and mercy. You know that. They really put me in a situation, Dave. It was like I really wasn't selling that much drugs before. Like I said, they, $150, you know, was all I really had. But now I owe a lawyer. I owe bail money to my grandma. And, you know, I like now I'm having to hustle like Breaking Bad style. You know what wow. I mean? Now I'm having to try to make $1,000. So I went from, you know, grabbing a quarter pound of weed to, hey, man, I need 10 pounds so I can go do this. So I can pay wow. my lawyer bill. And, uh, man, they just put me in a bad situation. So they actually made me worse. And I'm not blaming anybody. It's my own fault because I made the decision, but that right. put me in a worse predicament. And then you got that, well, I'm going to jail anyway attitude, so I might as well you know, get what I can get while I'm free. Anyway, eventually, this is what happened. I got this lawyer, and he tells me, hey, man, they're going to give you two years in prison for this charge. And if you'll just sign guilty, and they'll give you the two years in prison. You already did two months in the county jail. You'll do another 30 days of county jail. It's first offense. You'll make parole. You'll go home. You'll never see a prison. You got sign days. this and you should be good to go. Should be good to go. Except for 10 days later, man, they had me handcuffed to a giant dude, butt naked on a getting ready to go on a prison bus, man. End up going to eight <laughs> maximum security prisons. Like, Dang. oh, dude, it was like. You know, in the movies where you like show up in a prison and either they're in the day room and everybody like looks at you and, you know, says all these offensive yeah, things yeah. or you're walking down the road, you know, like the movies uh-huh, yeah. had to do that shit eight times, man, Dang. eight times. And you were 19. Yeah. By the time I got in there, I was like almost 21. Okay. So that co- I committed the crime January 19th, 99. So I was almost 20 at that time. By the time I actually got into the system, I was almost 21. It was about a year to go to court or whatever. All right. So that's your first time. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do a quick word for our sponsors. Yeah, come on. I'm loving Sell this it. message, but we, yeah, we've got to pay the bills. And I love supporting this friend, my good friend, Mike Lindell. He's a patriot. He stands up for this country. He's been fighting for this country. He was fighting for the president. He still is. He's still working to try to bring so much exposure to what he knows and what he has. And he's funded a lot of individuals to dive into the minutiae, everything that took place this last election, at least try to bring some clarity so that we can have integrity in our elections. So he's a good friend. He loves my show. He's my number one sponsor. 
Get to MyPillow.com and use the code. I'd still love it. It's still up. Trump 2020. Use that code Trump 2020 at MyPillow.com and get yourself something that you'll love. I got his robe. I've got his Giza sheets. He's got Giza flannel sheets. I've got his mattress topper. I love all of it. So go to MyPillow.com. Use that code Trump 2020. That way Mike knows you heard it here. Hey, man, small world. Uh, the first spokesperson for my pillow was one of my very first clients. She was the person really? that would do before Mike was the face of it. Yeah. Tanya was the face of it. So she did the QVC appearances to sell the pillow on QVC and all Have that you read stuff. his book yet? No, I haven't read his book She's yet. probably in there. She, she probably talk, is. He talks about well, he was scared to death to go on camera. Yep. And when he first started, he was still a crack addict. Yeah, he, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, he was, he was a crack addict. And he would talk about his battle with, you know, Doing crack, smoking crack, doing coke. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to get that book. That sounds He was awesome. a card counter. I mean, he was like an really? amazing card counter. Yeah, he was being looked at by that uh, that MIT group that would go to Vegas and, and oh, clean yeah. house. They were looking at Mike before they disbanded because the FBI got on him. So he's a brilliant guy. That's cool. But, uh, that, was all B, that. that was all BC. We all got a BC story. If you don't know BC is before Christ. Yeah. Uh, we've all got a BC story. Yeah. All right. So you're in jail. How long did you spend in jail that first time? So remember, lawyer, 30 days, county jail. Me, I do like 20, 19, 20 months in these maximum security prisons. I was in this Man. one place. Maximum security. I was in this one place called Beto One for like six months, and I swear it was like 160 people stabbed in six months. It was crazy, man. It was the wildest place. They they called it the house of hate. It was no place for a dude like me. Now, I wasn't in the maximum security wing of the prison. I'm in the like the people that are basically on their way home. Two years, five years or less, you're on your way home in there, right? But it still sells. It's still maximum security prison. I just wasn't down there with like the, the lockup guys that spend 24 hours in their cell and stuff, but it's still crazy everywhere you went. The 30 months you're in there. Uh, 20, 20 months, 20. So I get out. I knew two things. Okay. Number one, I ain't going back there. You know, that is not a place for a young white man to be or any man for that matter, but for sure. a young city was this? So this, the Beto one is in a place called Tennessee colony, Texas, but these are, I went to, I went to Huntsville. I mean, they had me going all over the damn state, man. And it sounds like you're saying the majority of folks in there are black. Yes. Largely. (laughs) It's where black gang members go. How the hell I want. There was like literally 3000 people in the unit and maybe 200 of us were white. Like, like, so when I say you, you felt some real racism in, in there, you know what I mean? So I, I bet. Yeah. Funny story. When, when one night they call me in, they say it's funny now. Shit wasn't funny then, right? But like they they give you these pieces of paper called call out, so it, it lets you know where you got to be at what time the next day, right? Mm-hmm. And I get one that says I got to be up at three a.m. and I ask the guard, I'm like, "What's up with this?" And he goes, "Oh man, if you're going to this unit, that means you made parole, man. Congratulations." I'm like, "Oh, I made parole." I'm like, "I'm 18 months into this thing anyway," so I'm like, "Oh, cool, man. You know, I thought I was gonna be in here the whole 24 months. Cool, I'm about to go home." Give my stuff to my celly when I'm leaving. I'm like, forget all of y'all. I'm cussing them out and everything else, yelling, y'all all deserve. I hope I never see y'all, Bob. Like, you know, things you wanted to say for two years while you, you were in you're prison. Literally you're literally doing yeah. this. I'm literally doing this. They send me to the place where they're supposed to let you go. I get to the end, the very end. The guy goes, oh man, your paperwork didn't come through. You got another 30 days. They sent me back to that place, man. <laughs> I'm walking back down survive, there. Well, right? look who is back. Yeah. <laughs> you. Man, I'm oh, lucky I'm still alive, man. For real. Yeah. Thank God I was only there on, for another yeah. two weeks, but that was a long two weeks. Sir. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Lesson on uh, keeping your mouth shut on the way out. Yeah. Yeah. Just let, yeah, I learned that. So you, just get, let it go. you get out of jail, you start rebuilding, right? 
Yeah, so you start well, building no, something for yourself. I just what knew happens? I didn't want to get back in there. And yeah. so I go back After to work for months. stepdad. All right. I go back to work for stepdad at the car wash. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't got the good thing about me and how I survived in prison, I didn't have any beef on the street. I didn't owe anybody any money. I didn't get snitch on anybody. So there was, you know, a lot of people they get in those gangs and stuff because they're in trouble on the streets or their family's in trouble or they owe money or they got an addiction. I don't have none of that, thank God. So nice. good Lord looking out for me when I wasn't looking out for myself. And so I get out and I go back to work for this car wash and I work my way up from a vacuumer at like $5 an hour to I'm managing three locations, but I got this work ethic still. So I would sell the car wash on a slow day to somebody. You come in your car wash. I'm going to sell you a car wash, vacuum your car, drive it on the track, spray it off, meet it up out front, wipe it off and send you on your way. Well, this lady was a regular customer that came in six months she finally said you know what you gotta be like the hardest worker i've ever seen in my life every time i come in here you sell me some stuff i don't need then you just do it all she's like is anybody else even here working Hmm. and i was like well you know i save money on man hours so i can hit my bonus if i do all the work myself Ah. and she's like again i'm hearing work ethic yeah she's like why don't you come work for me i said well i got a job you know i like it here i was thinking i was going to own the car wash one day maybe right yeah i've already worked my way up in two years she goes uh yeah, but my job can make you a millionaire. And I don't even know what a million dollars looks like, lady. What do you do for a living? I'm in mortgages. What's that? Right. She said, uh, we loan money to people when they want to buy a house. Oh, man, I don't even have a credit card. My truck over there, I got like a 1968 <laughs> F-250. I'm like, I paid 500 bucks for that thing. Like, I don't know how any of that stuff works. She wow. goes, well, I'll teach you. And I said, well, I got a bigger problem than that. I'm a felon. Mm. She goes, what'd you do? I said, uh, I got caught with cocaine. She goes, you'll fit right in. This is the banking industry, you know, and uh, right. I was like, but, you know, I, I got this job and then, you know, it's guaranteed money for me. And, you know, you're offering me a commission only deal. And she said, tell you what, if it doesn't work out, I'll get you your job back at the car wash. They took you back after prison. Surely they'll take you back after working at the bank. Mm. I walked over, gave my keys to the assistant manager and was like, hey, I'm going to go be a banker. And he's like, what, man? I was like, I don't know. See you guys later. And I left just that like day. That. Yeah, just like that. Wow. I showed up Monday dressed at a bank like a dude that worked at a car wash that had been to prison <laughs> right <laughs> so her right hand man was this gay guy named claude and he's like the first thing we got to do is i'm gonna take you shopping dude like wow. you like you cannot come in here looking like this i had like boots on and wranglers so i look like you know convict wow. at work at the <laughs> car wash <laughs> so claude invested some money in me took me shopping and within about two weeks i had closed a deal and made like 8600 bucks Wow, man, I was Bill Gates in my mind at that right. time. Yeah, you know what I mean? You making a month before that. Yeah, like I was making five, six hundred bucks a week, you know, wow. yeah. and so that's how, you know, it ain't very much when you got to measure it by the week. Right. right. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And so then about two, three weeks later, I made another 14 or fifteen thousand mm. dollars just through this, like, you know, small circle of people that I knew. Uh, refinancing people's houses. Right. And I was like, oh, shoot, man, like I made a year's worth of money in like two months. Wow. You know. There's something to this. Yeah. And so one Saturday. Let me ask you something. I just thought of something. You had somebody praying for you that whole time, didn't you? I don't know. I don't. I, I mean, I, if they were, thank you. But I don't know. Because my fa- family's not family like that. that. You know of? Yeah. My so you're coming like from a family that didn't really acknowledge God or go to church or no praying grandmas or great grandmas or grandma. anything like that. I have a grandma that was pretty active in church, but I don't, she might've been praying, for, praying me. for you. Somebody had to have yeah. been now that you say that, yeah. you know, somebody was praying for you. Yeah. Yeah, thank God for those grandmas. My grandma prayed for me. My great-grandma bounced me on her knee when I was one, two years old praying for me. And I tell you, God honors the prayers of those matriarchs, those 
mothers, those grandmothers, those great grandmothers. So yeah, you had somebody praying for you, brother. Now, that's not, it doesn't just happen. Yeah. Now that you, know you, you know say mean? that, well, I've always thought, so you've read the Bible, man. I feel like Jacob from Genesis. Mm. Remember his family sold him into slavery yeah. and then the chick accused him of cheating on yeah. him with Potiphar. And then yep. he determined this dream, wrote a 14 year economic plan. And the whole time he said, they meant it for bad, but God meant it for good. Mm. And the way that I think about it, I get emotional here, but the way that I think of it is I went through all the things I went through in my life because God knew I could handle it so that I could be an inspiration to people going through things in their life. Cause you hear people with their stories like, Oh, I got in a car accident, you know, and people can relate to that or whatever. But man, I've been in so many different scenarios and come through the other side that literally there's no excuse you can give me that would make me feel sorry for you, you know, yeah. but it, it also allows people to go, Hey man, if that guy would like literally no family, no education, no money, no intelligence, no like anything going for him can bounce back and do this stuff. Then it's possible for anybody, you know? Absolutely. And I think God just used me as an example. And, and I always like to point this out, too, that it's not God that puts us in those situ situations. You know, it's not, even with Job, even with Job, God's not the one that did it. The enemy did it. Yeah, yeah. God just said, okay, I'll, I'll allow that to happen. But but he knew all along he was going to use There's a lesson. that to empower and build that, build Job up. So, yeah, people, you know, sin is real. People's decisions to do things, a part of God's will is real. So, and then we have our own will, right? Yep. You self-admitted you're, you were doing drugs and everything else. We can make mistakes too, but I, I think the power, the power of especially prayers from grandmas or grandpas, but the power of those prayers covering us as we've grown up, open doors, you know, that shouldn't have ever opened yeah. and, and kept the wolves at bay when they should have completely devoured us. We shouldn't even be here. Yeah. It's, it's those prayers, brother. Yeah. I've been carried a lot. You know, at the time, it didn't feel like it. Right. You know, never does. Yeah. But, but looking back, it's like, oh, <laughs> you know, you have a whole different revelation. Footprints. Yeah. Footprints. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. One set of footprints. Yeah. Well, why'd you leave me? Everybody's grandma has that in the bathroom. Right. You know? Yeah. 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 If not, is she even a grandma? <laughs> <laughs> so, 2005. So, I start this mortgage business at the end of 2003. 2005, the end of it. I made over a million bucks. Wow. You know, I started October 2003. In 2005 alone, I made $773,000. I'll never forget, right? It was like, I'm so close, yeah. you know? Well, the cops, I live in this small town, and I've always been an early adopter. A lot of the stuff we do here, we did before anybody else, which is what's, it's, it's always a struggle at the time, but it pays good in the future, right? Mm -hmm. And I work from home a lot of days. We had a server, internet, Wi-Fi, just log in, work from home. It's like 2005. But I own 32 houses, so I got people coming by paying rent on the first of the month. I got realtors coming by picking up checks. I got people coming by dropping off documents. So you're, you're how old? I am 24, 25. And own 32 houses. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and just, just and only been out, out of prison jail. for like three years. Yeah. <laughs> Again, not white privilege. That's hard work. That's work ethic. The work ethic. Yeah. yeah. So here's and how I did that. And opportunity. Somebody took a chance on you, right? The, it the all started said, like hey, this. Help you out. After I rent, so I made that and I left this part out, but after I made that like 20, 30 grand, you know, in a, in a 45 days, I didn't have nobody else to sell to. Mm -hmm. So one Saturday, so again, this is God looking out for me. I, I just bought this house, my very first house. Okay. And one Saturday I'm waiting on the cable to get installed. And the only thing that comes on in the existing cable is CNBC. Okay. I never heard of CNBC before. Right. And I'm watching it. 
And it's like today and today only a real estate seminar brought to you by rich dad, poor dad. It's like this advertisement, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it was like free at the Hilton hotel. It's like, dude, I ain't got nothing to do today. And I bet those people need money. So I went to this real estate seminar and I'm paying attention to what's going on. And I noticed they're selling like a $2,000 program. Mm -hmm. So everybody that bought the $2,000 program is obviously pretty interested in buying real estate and has money. So I'm outside buying them drinks and hustling one dude from that gave me 54 deals, which wow. I'm, so like from that one meeting and I went to almost every one of those after that, I bought the program was yeah, end up bet. speaking for them and everything. Right. <laughs> yeah. I bet. And so that's how I ended up learning how to invest in real estate was like, Hey, I just took a chance to go to this meeting and then met this one dude who taught me and I ended up doing a whole bunch of loans for him and it changed wow. my life, you know? And because of that, I got all these people coming over my nice house. I live in one of the nicest homes in Allen, Texas at the time, moved to the suburbs, get away from the streets and everything. And the cops in the city start thinking I'm selling drugs because of my record. But I'm like, but my record's literally only $150 worth of drugs. I never got any other charges. You know what I mean? So it's like an eight ball, you know? And, and for some reason they went through my trash. They went through like all this other stuff that I didn't know about and couldn't find nothing. So they got one of my renters, got pulled over and busted with drugs in the car had nothing to do with me i, I he just didn't. rented one of your properties yeah and so they got him to say that he picked it up and was leaving my house they went and got a warrant from the same judge that charged me in 1999 no way. kicked in the door of my house i wasn't even home david i was in mexico i wasn't even home Dang. when they kicked it in and they had it listed on the warrant papers as if i was running a meth lab and these dudes threw flash bombs in my house what if i really was running a meth lab they could have killed every kid in my neighborhood Wow. Right? Like, and again, this is 15 years ago, so I got no bad blood against them, but whoever was the front man on that job, I'll tell you who it was. It was crazy. So one of the houses that I owned that I rented out was in Rockwall. And the guy that rented the house from me, this is the most expensive house. It's like 300 grand out of everything I owned. It was the most expensive home. And the dude filed bankruptcy on me. Mm. So I go over there to have a a nice talk with the guy, you know, (laughs) to ask him to please leave. Right. And before I go though, I'm trying to gather some facts from the neighbors. Hey, what do you know about them? Blah, blah, blah. Cause I'm not even legally supposed to talk to him. Right. I'm just trying to turn into the old me real quick. And I knock on the door right directly across the street from the house that I own. And the dude opens the door with the gun. It's the freaking cop that raided my house. He just happens to live in the house across the street. He's like, what are you doing here? Wait, what are you doing here? Like, dude, it was like a from years earlier from your first, from from the first first one. one. No, from the one that they just raided. So like, I'm still, yeah. So I'm like still out on bond oh, and I'm they and just raided your they house. Just raided my house. Like You're two weeks on the neighbor's door. I get out because this, you know, I get out of jail the same day. Cause I got money this time and I hire my lawyer and <laughs> everything else. Then I go. So you're in Mexico. They raid your house. You're not home. You get back. They, they charge pull me you, over. Yep. Pull you over and take you to jail. Yep. You get out on bail. Yep. Then you're trying to go knock. Two on weeks later, I got to go deal with this this other. And you rental. knock on the cop store that raided your house. Had no idea he thought I was there to get him. I'm lucky he didn't shoot me. <laughs> yeah. If there's are. any white privilege to my story, it might be that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it just might be that. Wow. So anyway, I end up shooting the shit with the guy for a minute. I was like, man, y'all got me all messed up. I own that house. Like I try to tell you, y'all could have knocked on the door. You didn't have to throw flash bombs, tell him all this stuff. Right, it's like, right. dude, you, I would have given you my bank account, whatever you guys wanted me, and y'all just went about it wrong. And I think he kind of had a heart because he kind of worked with the cops to get the case dropped. Mm. And so I end up back then I had a meeting with my lawyer was a a black fellow. And uh, it's a very important part of this story. I paid the guy 20, 25 grand to take my case. Right. He ends up getting it dropped. 
And the guy's name's Craig Watkins. He still practices law in Dallas. And while we're in this, he says, if we get it dropped, the feds are going to pick it up. The ATF is going to pick it up. You just got to know that. And he goes, but the good news is I'm running for district attorney of Dallas County. And if you want to, you can come and be a donor and come sit in this meeting with us. So I walk into Craig's office on Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, you know, great part of town to have an office in, you know, and I walk. I don't know the area. So yeah. You must be but being sarcastic. You, but you know that that street in every normal. They, yeah, they don't get back in home. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They never give that street to the nice part no, of the neighborhood. Unfortunately, it's. Yeah. And so I go down there to Craig's office in South Dallas, literally on the corner of MLK and Malcolm X Boulevard. I'm the only white guy in the room. It's John Wiley Price. It's Royce West. All these senators and activists here in Dallas that you see on TV, them bitching about all the time. They're in the room with me. Wow. And Craig says, you know, hey, we're going to do something historical. We're going we're gonna to be the first Democrats, you know, in the history of Dallas County being in a political office in the judiciary system. And we're going to let people out of jail because we're going to do this right. Just like what Trump did, man, they were on the same mission that he mm-hmm. was with letting people out of jail because he yeah. spent all that time defending them. And he said, I'm going to be the first black person in all of the judiciary units in, in Dallas ever. And we ran a grassroots campaign with $30,000 against a dude with 3 million and one. Wow. No voting, no dominion machines needed. Right. Our, wow. our, we spent our money on busting people in from the hood because there was more people in the hood that were willing to vote for that race than there were in the north. Like wow. the north side, the big houses, big plots. And the yeah. hood, you got huge apartment complexes, right? man. Oh, so yeah. we got them to the polling, polling stations. Then he ended up pulling some strings when the FBI and ATF eventually did come knocking, which they did. I beat the case in Texas. You can own a gun. And you can have it in your house if you're a convicted felon. That's one of the cool things about this state. But the ATF likes to pick those cases up because it's against federal rules. Mm. So it's kind of like weed in California, right? You can get busted with weed and California can say, oh, it's cool. It's legal. But if the DEA wants to, they could pick up the case and, right. and arrest you. So that's what happened to me. And they tried to give me 20 years. Dang. I'm like, bro, I wasn't even home. I wasn't even selling dope. Y'all didn't get any of that stuff you were looking for. Like, how do we, how do yeah, we get how here? You, you know, how do you get to there? But then I get Craig elected and all of a sudden it's like, here's a dude in power that pulled some strings for me. He's like, Hey, he's a good dude here. You know, he ain't got nobody to, they wanted me to snitch. He's like, he literally is a banker. He has nobody to snitch on the guy. You brought him and arrested him and brought him in. I failed or passed the drug test. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have anything to tell yeah. at one point. They're like, well, we're going to send you in to infiltrate this biker gang. I'm like, dude, I look like Jake from state farm. I didn't have all these tattoos and stuff back then. It's like, I'm like a 25 year old kid that works at a bank in khakis and a red shirt. Like I'm not going to go infiltrate some like Mongols wow. biker gang. You get me killed. Wow. So I end up going to doing the 15 months and when I was in there, my wife. You had to do 15 months over that. Day for day, yeah. 15 months over somebody accusing you. No proof. No proof. Nothing in your house. No, no meth lab. None. Not even, a, not not even, even a, a sandwich bag. You know what I'm saying? Even, and not even whatever the guy initially got busted for. Yep. It was one of your renters. Yep. Still didn't have nothing to do with you. Yep. None but of that. Because you were in the system before. In a small town. Wow. And in a small white town with white cops. So, you know what I'm saying? I'm Where's just, I'm just putting at? that out. Where, you, where was white out. privilege at? Yeah. So, again, it reminds me of Job, right? That yep. right there is like, yeah. And so I go do 15 months. And two months into it, wife leaves me for the guy that owns the landscape company that mows the yards from a rent house. Wow. You know? 
shocks my world, man, because she sends me this letter. She's like, we got all your money. We got all your clothes, your furniture. Like, I'm like, man, I don't even know what I did to make you mad. You know, like I left you set up good while I was gone. Like, oh, man, she just killed me, wow. you know. And, and I already got abandonment issues from being adopted and stuff like that, man. So yeah. it, it made my time real long except for one day. Maybe I've been in there for three months and I'm standing in line waiting to eat. And two people in front of me is the dude that I used to sell drugs for. Mm. And so I tap him on the show. His name was Angel because after I got busted the first time when I was going through the Breaking Bad portion, I ended up working with some Hispanic dudes. And so the Chuck guy, original guy, didn't want to. He's like, in case I got followed or snitched on or whatever, he didn't want nothing to do with me. So these Puerto Rican dudes took a chance. Well, they end up in prison 10 years later. I'm in there, too. And he's like, I thought you cleaned your life up. It's like, I did, man. You won't believe this shit. You know, and I tell him the story and he's like, well, you know what, dude? You never snitched on us. You always paid us on time. So if you need anything in here for real, we got you, man. You know, you're a short timer. You're going to be here for 15 months. We'll make it pretty easy for you. You're a good dude. Mm. So they spread word around campus that the new guy never snitched, that they ain't got nothing to worry about, which is a good thing to have in prison, right? Absolutely. So I'm sitting in my cell in this federal prison and this big, huge Mexican dude with face tattoos comes and knocks on the door. And he says, you know, which one of you guys is stewing? And my cellmate's like him. I'm like, man, <laughs> you know, right? like, yeah. he goes, come with me. This guy, Wawa, wants to see you. Mm-hmm. Like, All right, what does that mean? And my cellmate's like, don't bring that shit down here, right? So I go up there, and there's like four or five dudes, and they're like wearing Air Maxes and shit, living like they're in the free world in this prison, right? Like, they got phones and stuff in there, right? right? I'm like, what? For real? They're smoking weed, you know? I'm like, geez, dude, these guys. So it ain't just in the movies. Yeah, and he's like. Uh, <laughs> when somebody's connected on yeah, the inside. They're connected, they're connected. They're connected. And so this dude's like the shot caller. So in the, in the state prisons I was in, it was mostly black. In federal prison, it's mostly anything but white or black. It's mostly Hispanics, Muslims, because there's lots of immigration. Wow. Stuff, especially yeah. here in Texas, right? Yeah, yeah. And so th- this guy runs like all the, the Mexican cartel stuff that mm. go through the whole prison system. And here I am talking to him. And he says, uh, Angel says that you didn't snitch on anybody, man. That's good. He goes, uh, he also said you were a banker. I get out of here in three years, man. I need to clean up a lot of money. You can help us. Wow. And I'm like, shit, we already in prison. What are they going to do to me? You know what I mean? So I start teaching these guys how to buy real estate, just like I learned from the seminars in prison. Wow. So like every Wednesday, these guys are coming into the prison uh, library and there's like the hardenest murder criminals that, you know, that are on, about to get on pre-release or learning how to flip properties. And they're sending their relatives to go do stuff through the money that they've got on the outside. Right. So like, I'm like the most, I'm like Andy from Shawshank redemption. I'm like the most popular dude in prison at this point. Cause I'm making all the like Mexican mafia guys, free world money for when they get out. Wow. And trying to turn them straight. Of course. Trying to, yeah. You know, Hey, hey, there's other ways (laughs) to make real money. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. You know, Hey, this is how I quit the dope game. Yes. I wound up here. Never mind that, but here's how I quit the dope game. Right. Yeah, Yeah. And so the, the lead guy of all that was there for 20 tons of cocaine, just to put it in Dang. perspective, right? Tons, right? Tons. Yeah. And he's now my general manager. He's like, really? yeah, he goes to church on Sunday with Pastor Keith. And Is that the guy I met? Yeah. When I got uh, the Mexican dude with the tattoos. Yeah. 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 Nice. That's him. That is He's awesome. worked for me for six years, man. Wow. You know, got a multiple six figure a year job, runs, you know, everything that we got on the operations here. That's it's awesome. Totally cleaned his life up. It's almost off of parole now, you know, so. That it, is amazing, but it all started brother. from that, like one little thing, because what had happened six, seven years before that I, I did, just kept my ethics. I didn't snitch on nobody. I didn't yeah. do anything else and just like paid me back you know and, and that right there to me is a little literal manifestation if you will of god can 
use all things together yeah, all for things your good. Together. All things together for your good. Even when it looks so, bad. Even when it looks bad. So tell me about your your uh, your walk with Christ. When did that start? When did, when did that become real to you? Because I know a lot of people you know, hear about God, hear about Christ, go to church. Uh, you know, some people just aren't really, it's not real to them. It's not actually a part of who they are. Tell us about that for you. When did that become, when did he become real to you? Yeah, nobody in my family went to church, you know, maybe on Christmas, if we're lucky, you know. Then in 2004, right about the time I was transitioning, maybe 2003, about the time I was transitioning from car wash guy to banker, I was uh, dating this stripper, you know, don't judge me. I come from abandonment issues. And she took me to this church in an elementary school in Frisco. And first of all, Frisco was nothing but massage parlors back then. I mean, it wasn't what you see today. Just 15 years ago, Frisco was like farmland. Wow. And so, and we go way out there, almost by where you live in this elementary school. It's like the only one in the whole city. And we go to this elementary school and there's this guy in there with the mullet and like, you know, singing Creed. I kid you not, man. He's on stage singing, you know, can you take me higher? And this is like the preacher of this church. And I was like, what in the world? It's Keith. You know, it's Keith. Yes, Keith. He has this huge (laughs) mullet and he's like this huge guy singing Creed on stage. And I'm like, what is, what is all this about? And so when he gets done singing, I was like, that's interesting. That's cool. Church music. You know what I mean? That's different. Right. And I was like, that's kind of cool. And then, man, he was just on fire that day talking about kings and priests. I'll never forget it. Mm. And, and I had never heard the word preached that way before. And I was like, wait, God wants you to be successful? The whole reason I've been away from him is because I thought, you know, God doesn't want you want to be humble and poor. That's what the, all the Christians always tell you. And then there's this guy teaching you. It's like, God needs you to go out and produce the fruit in the marketplace. You know how Keith is. Mm. So I go back the next week. Next thing you know, I'm like stacking chairs and helping them fold stuff up. And, and, wow. and this was 17 years ago, I guess, 18 years ago. And so, you know, there was some time in probably 2005 when I was making all that money, I was giving big money back to the church. It's like, oh man, this whole thing is working. And then it, I got that arrest and I was like, man, what happened, man? I wasn't on drugs. I wasn't wow. doing anything wrong. What happened? Yeah. But I know now back then I didn't know, but I know now, see, I kept making stupid mistakes. I married the wrong woman. I, I should have never been a banker in the first place. Was yes, it, it was good experience. You, took you to church? No, it definitely. Was after that? Yep. Okay. And but I should have like you know, I, like I shouldn't have ever been in the alignments that I have. And God was trying to say, He's not going to get away with that unless I take him out of society and put him in a box for a little while, mm. let him cool off, and then let them move on with their life, and then I'll reinsert him. He was just it had to be part of the journey because my I'm not going to I'm not a quitter. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. So much of your story, I got to say this too, that I love about your story, is it just shatters God's, it shatters the boxes that people put God in. Yeah. People put God in a box, right? He won't do that. He can't do that. He doesn't work that way. Oh, that's not God, whatever. From everything you've gone through, then you've got a girl you're dating that's a prostitute that is the one that takes you to church where you meet Keith Craft. It's like all all along, all these little pieces, God's trying to work through and reach you. Which again, to me, is somebody's praying for you. Somebody had prayed for you, right? A grandma can put one of those, you know, atomic bomb prayers on the grandkids, cover them and watch them and get them every day of their life, bring them and pull them close to you every day of their life. Well, that's that pretty much covers us, regardless yep. of how long they're alive or, or whatever. We're covered. So God's tugging on you. He's he's using any means necessary to try to reach you, and ultimately, he felt like he could reach you the best if you were in isolation. 
Well, is what you're saying. I, you. I believe so. And I don't, I don't even know if he was I, trying to reach me. I think at the time he had me pretty good. I think what he was saying was like, you know, I was hanging out with people that were abusing their friend privileges. We'll call it. You know what I mean? Like people, I give my, I bought my parents a house. I don't, what the hell do I need to do that for? You know what I mean? Like I would give my friends loans for their bullshit businesses that I knew wasn't going to, I was just trying to please everybody, man. And God's mm-hmm. like, these people are going to rob him to death. Cause he's such a good giver that I need to get him the hell away from everybody. Literally. I need to get him away from the hell that everybody's bringing and remove them, you know? And, and what happens is when you're in prison, man, people don't think about you. Well, no, you, you know, I, wasn't nobody that I helped out write me letters or put money on my books or visiting me like wow. none of that stuff, you know? So wow. they move on and it showed me who it was like, Oh, I'm out here on my own, you know? Mm-hmm. But Keith got me to read this book and he doesn't even know he, he didn't know me at the time, but he was talking about it on stage. He got me to read this book called the law of success by Napoleon Hill. Mm-hmm. And I read it in 2005. And when I got done reading it, I, I remember I jumped. I finally, it's like a 1,200-page book. And I yeah. read the last page. And I closed it. And I was like, man, I, I want to be like a motivational speaker or something. You know, mm-hmm. like a, I see Keith up there. I don't want to be a preacher, but I want to teach this kind of stuff to people. Because, man, now that I've learned it, this is like mind-bending. Had somebody show this to me 10 years ago. You yeah. know what I mean? Like all the revelations you go through when you read Think and Grow Rich or something right. like that, right? Oh, yeah. And, you know, I remember she was my wife at the time just laughing at me. You know, it's like, what are you going to do? You're a convicted felon. Aren't you about to go to prison again? You know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. It's like, uh, you know, so I kind of had this, I believe when we have a dream or a vision of what we're supposed to be doing in life, I think that's God giving us direction. Mm-hmm. But I think the enemy, the force of average comes in and goes, nah, 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 you don't need to be doing that. That's not your thing. You don't know nothing about that. You're right. not prepared for that. Right. And talk yeah. you out of the very thing that, that you're supposed to be doing, which is what happened to me. So, you know, obviously go to prison, get out. And while I was in prison, I was, I was pretty, it's funny because in state prison, I was not religious and everybody in there is religious because they're playing for parole (laughs) in the federal system. There's no parole. So the church is empty. Okay. Uh, I'm just being real. So in the federal system, I had actually already been going to church and stuff. So I took the time to read the Bible two and a half times through. Mm. Yeah, I want to know this. So yeah. first time you read it, you go, what in the heck was that? All right, right. try it again. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're like, all right, I got to get through this again. So I end up reading it two and a half times in there. And some of the other religious books, too, after all, I had 15 months on my hands, you know. So I read some of the other religious books and allowed me to have a, a bigger picture. And then. Meanwhile, somewhere in there, your wife's leaving. Yep. Taking yep. all your stuff. Yep. So when I get out, first thing I did was go back to church, mm. you know. And literally Keith's first church. Thing, yeah. Keith's church. Yeah. None of that stuff you see today existed back then though, you yeah. know? And, uh, I go in there and Keith is, we're about to build the church as you know it now. Mm-hmm. And this is in 2008, the worst time to try to build a $60 million building. Wow. And the thing that carried me through the economic depression of 2008 to 2010 in the mortgage world, because that's what I went back to doing was I was refinancing the congregation so that we could give money to build that church. Wow. So like everybody was in there cause the house, the numbers had dropped. So everybody was saving money on refinance, which allowed right. them to give a little extra money so we could build this, you know, huge, beautiful cathedral that we yeah. built. And Frisco. it's amazing too. shout out to Keith it Grast is. and elevation life church, ELC in Frisco, Texas. Yep. Uh, been there. Love it. Love Keith. This is your, some of Keith's fruit. Yeah. From him. One of the first, is, yeah. One of the first people in the, the congregation, like literally we were in an elementary school, you know? Wow. So, uh, and now he's one of my best friends, been my mentor and pastor for 17 years. And mm-hmm. we travel together and you know, go over each other's houses, the parties and stuff. Like nice. he's one of my, my close friends. Nice. And, cool cat. And, you know, 
there was a while though where some things hit me and I stepped away. It's like, okay, man, every time I get close to God, I feel like, you know, last time I got close to God, I wound up going to prison, you know, and then I get close to God. And then, you know, in 2010, as I explained earlier, the Dodd-Frank Act, I couldn't do mortgages anymore. You know, Obama passed the Dodd-Frank Act. And since I was a felon, you couldn't be a felon when the mortgage licenses changed from state to federal. I couldn't get a federal license. So I'm on my own. And I'm like, God, you know, how many times you going to every time that I'm trying to do something, I should have been really bitching about the government, not not God. But you know how it is, right? right. Like, my like, God, man, you know, every time it's like the government raids my house, throws me in here. Now they take my license. Like, what do you want from me? Well, all along, he was like, I told you to be a motivational speaker. I didn't mm. tell you to be a banker. I gave you an opportunity. You were doing it in prison to convict. Surely you can do it in the free world. Wow. You know? But at the time, God's telling you this. You're like, shut up, God. I'm trying to write loans over here. Right. <laughs> you know, right? Yeah. That's what I'm we busy. do. Shut up, God. Yeah. I'm busy. Yeah, yeah. What do you know? I'm trying to do this, yeah. right? Oh, I know. I've done it. Been there, done that. Spent a few years trying to do it on my own. And, and about three years ago, we moved to, because I was living in Dallas. And about three years ago, we moved back to Frisco. One day, I told my wife, it's like, man, there's this guy that lives here named Keith. He's got a big church up here. I actually was one of the people that started, helped build it. I know you think that's crazy. You didn't know that about me. And she's like, wait, you used to go to church? It's like, yeah, but. Your wife. Yeah, the one you know. Yeah. How long have you been married? Uh, we've been together six years. We've been married three. Okay. And so this is about three years ago. Yeah. And, and she's like, well, I'll go to church with you. I grew up in church. I'll go. And we go there. And she's, you know, she's like, oh, man, this is home. Like, these are our people. Mm. And I was like, man, wow. you know. I brought a lot of other women here over the years and everyone I wanted to fight with me in the car on the ride home about something that they didn't like. And as wow. soon as my wife stepped in there, she's like, this is our home. And I was like, you show right. It wow. is, you know, so good, you know, and she's same thing. She travels with me and Keith and, and, you know, we have an event coming up the end of next month where we're all taking private jet to Cabo together and stuff. So he gets nice. to spiritually pour into me and I get yeah. to give him stuff back too that makes his life easy and we got, you know, good relationship and, but I, I wouldn't be there without him. That's the only church I've ever been in, man. That's like, uh, you know, that's like, I'm like, this is me. I don't need nothing else. This is yeah. the one, you know, I've, I've never stepped foot in another church. Wow. So, well, your story is amazing from jail twice. You get out, you started this enterprise. How long ago? 2011, 2011. I think I tooted the horn in the beginning. That's okay. Yeah. You're doing 10 plus million a year. Right? You do very well. You flip houses on the side or buy houses on the side as an investment. Yep. And that's your company, right? Total doing that. But then you do your houses on the side as well. But mo more than that, beyond all of that, what is the most, what do you, what would you consider real wealth? Well, I actually have a definitive answer for that. Last year, there was a survey done with the top 150 top wealth managers in America, and they asked them essentially, what is FU money in America? And it's $25 million in assets. Mm. Okay. For some people listening, they might be like, Jesus, that's a lot of money. For some people listening, like it's peanuts on a Wednesday, right? Just Most depends on what level. It's, it's a, lot a lot of money, right? But here's the thing what people don't understand is that, and I'm so glad you asked this because this is what I get really passionate about and, and people got to understand, especially as we move into a, a democratic, all democratic Congress, right? Is that 25 million doesn't mean you have 25 million in the, in the bank. A lot of people make that mistake. They think, oh, because somebody's got a net worth of 25 million, they just sitting on 25 million stacks in their house or whatever, right? And that's not how it works. These people that have 25 million might have 24.5 debt leveraged against it. They might have done maximum leverage buyout against businesses and stuff, and they're operating off the cash flow. So 
a lot of people don't understand that you can have $25 million in a real estate portfolio and be considered by an asset manager, someone who has FU money that's in the top 1%, but you can have $24 million in loans against that. Wow. That doesn't mean, so, which means your net worth in, maybe a million plus depend on the equity in those homes. Right? Right, right. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that you need 25 million laying around. And what separates America from most rest of the world is that we can actually own things here. Like in China, for example, I have a, a friend of mine who's a hedge fund manager here in Dallas. His wife is literally the princess of Thailand. Dang. And the re- the reason why is because they are one of the few Royal families that own land in China. If you and me live in China as a Chinese citizen, we can't buy land. We can't own land. We can't live in, right. we can't do it with businesses. So the thing that we have here in America is a path to get to that FU money by owning things, by mm. buying little pieces of real estate right now. You know, you can say, Oh, he's just buying six houses this weekend. But what you got to understand is for 23 years, I've been, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there, putting right. a little bit of money back to where now I've got way more than that $25 million in assets, but I don't keep that cash laying around. I right. own, you know, I own five restaurants and then I own the corporate company that owns restaurants. And then I own, you know, different, I mean, I got 35 different companies that I own from software where to restaurants, to real estate, to everything in between. Right. And so the way that I look at it though, is I have an opportunity to own that. And I've been doing it since I could put $500 a week in to the stock market. That's how I started. Hmm. And I wasn't a day trader or anything like that. It's like, you know what? Amazon's probably not going anywhere. I'm just going to buy some stock in it. You know, Apple's probably not going anywhere. I got in early on those. Yeah. (laughs) Nice. I've got in early and sold and bought back and sold so many times. Like this year, I haven't sold anything, but over the last or through 2020, my stock portfolio is up 78%, even after the downslip in March, right? Nice. Just owning decent companies that I knew right. would perform. Yeah. And that's the key here in America is owning stuff. So if there's anything, you know, I had presidents interrupt me, Bush and Obama. Obama derailed me with Dodd-Frank. Bush derailed me with the drug laws. And then, you know, honestly, the gun law that I went to jail for that made it federal, that's Clinton's assault rifle ban that, that was signed by Joe Biden wow. back in the day. So, like, I've literally been in the situations that people are afraid of. And, yeah. But what I can tell you is owning things. Got to own things. And, and the government moves slow, guys. You got to understand this. Like, they act like Joe Biden's going to step in there in five days. They're going to get all these things knocked down. And even if they do, the government is such a big corporation that it takes four or five years. Like, like Trump was just now cleaning up what he had to get from Obama. Obama spent eight years cleaning up what he got from Bush. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so and making it a lot worse in, and, my, in my view. And, and he definitely enacted some things that were horrible that Trump tried to unwind. Well, the funny thing for me is I would have voted for Obama had I been able to vote back then because I did not like McCain or Romney. It like those, and I don't, I wouldn't like them if they were around. Well, nobody likes Romney except for people in Utah anyway. But, right. but like McCain, he was always like a like a rhino kind of guy to yeah. me. You know? Oh yeah, absolutely. And so the the lesser of two evils was Obama, I believe, in both of those elections. So yeah, but you know, for me. I just want the people out there to know that, hey, the government moves slow. So whatever regulations they put in now, increase tax and stuff like that. It's not like it starts immediately. There's always a date in the future and everything else. So we've got 12, 18, 24 months to put your money together, to get your money invested, to put your money in in products and companies in the market that that aren't going to mess up. Get your money out of your 401ks that somebody else is managing that don't care about this diversifying a bunch of weird stocks and buy normal blue chip stocks and just hold on to them. 
Right now is the time to buy real estate, especially if you live in the South, because people from the West and the Northeast are moving down here They're like left out. and right, man. And yeah. we might as well make money on because they're stupid and they used to overpaying for properties anyway. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No offense to you guys, but you know it's true. And so, you know, I would recommend, if anything, over the next, you know, like, don't wait tomorrow. Start making more money. Start buying side hustles. Get on YouTube. Figure out ways to make more money. Whatever you can do, because. Yeah. If all these worst case scenarios do come true, like me losing my job in 2010, uh, I, I had a $300,000 a year job and I lost it just like March of 2010. It was like, wow. you can literally no longer perform that job. Wow. And, you know, I have buddies right now that are working on the Keystone pipeline that just packed it up because Biden and them are going to shut it down. They wow. know. And so the other thing I'll say, though, is when things change, don't be the first person to leave an industry. You're better to be one of the last because a lot of people are going to make a mass exodus real quick and there's still going to be some business to be picked up and your competition got out of the way. So you want to quit in the middle Mm. or towards the end, not the beginning. Somebody out there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Ryan, you're living the American dream. Got a beautiful family. You've done amazing for yourself. You love God. You honor him. You acknowledge his blessing on your life. I just so appreciate you, brother, what you've done, what you've been able to accomplish and, and who you are. Tell everybody, you've got these, you've got your, your coaching business where you are helping people develop the kind of skills or avenues or for business owners that can bring their uh, the success to another level or, or multiple levels or from zero to, from zero to, to jumpstart. Tell everybody where they can reach you and find out more about your uh, program. Yeah. You know, b- before, and I know this isn't how somebody typically in my position would pitch this, but before you would consider a program of mine or want me to coach you, because it's one thing to hear me talk on this podcast and be like, hey, this guy's my guy and that's cool and you can follow me and everything. But I would encourage you first to go to Amazon and grab my G-Code book. And G-code. it's called The G-Code by Ryan Stuman, six bucks. I got it as cheap as Amazon to let me sell it because I'm trying to get it in your hands. I'm not trying to make money off of it, right? Yeah. And that book is going to teach you the four areas of life that you have to focus on winning in every single day. The book is, I'm a good writer and I don't say that to just like toot my own horn, but I'm one of the best. So I write it in a way that'll make you want to read it. It ropes you in. It's, it's a fun read, but it teaches you the fundamental areas. There's four areas. They all start with a G. It's a grateful mindset, your genetics, your grind, which is your business and the group of people that you surround yourself with. If you focus on winning in this, in the scenarios that I teach you in that book, every single day, you'll become unstoppable. No devil, no enemy, no nothing can stop you Mm. because focus is a superpower and that book teaches you how to tap into that superpower of being focused and tuned in in the zone at will. And it's, it's what I've been able to use to make the work ethic and to be able to bounce back after all these times and uh, of setbacks and everything else. So before you did anything else, I would just encourage you to go to Amazon, grab the G code book. And there's even an app that goes with it. So you can like, you know, we've gamified personal development and yeah. it's inside the book and everything. So I, I would start there. That sounds like a great place to start. Ryan, it's been an absolute blessing, man. Love your story. Love what you're doing. And uh, just honored to, to know you, man, and get to know you even more. And, uh, yeah, it's been very good. Well, hopefully so, we inspired some folks today. I think you absolutely did. A lot of inspiration. I don't know who watching this could think, what was me? What can I do? Look at what I've been through and doesn't feel like they can't get up and do something to make it happen. So get to uh, Amazon. Get the G-Code by Ryan Stuman. And don't forget to go to MyPillow.com, find yourself something there nice, and use the code TRUMP2020 when you do. God bless you guys. We'll talk to you all again soon. Bye-bye.